three actions in loving well. Three actions in loving well. No, we're not talking about holding hands, kissing, and what would the third one be? Going and having dinner together. No, we're not talking about those three. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, receiving God's love, loving God back, and then loving one another. Those are three actions or three movements in loving well. And what I want us to pay particular attention to as, as we interact together about this topic this morning is how incarnation empowers all three actions. Incarnation is going to empower all three of those three actions about loving, loving well. So take a deep breath. Go ahead, maybe breathe it in. Breathe it back out. And we're just going to pray. We're just going to pray right here, try to be still and invite God to speak to us and encourage us or teach us what he wants to, to give us this morning. Father, we, we take a moment right now, we pause, we pray just to reset and remind ourselves that it's, it's you that we need encouragement from. It's you who is uh, the perfect one that we're looking to to love us. It's you that our true identity comes from. And Father, today as we gather together, as we, as we talk about this topic of loving well, Lord, many of us have been hurt. Many of us have not been loved well. Either inside the church or outside the church or from a parent or even a best friend or a spouse But Father, this is where we come and we get reparented and re-loved and re-pursued by you because you love us perfectly. So Father, we, we pray for these moments. Remind us who we are by reminding us who you are and what your love is really all about. And Lord, we need your help for that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so in review, our bigger, much bigger conversation has been Emo Church, Emotionally Healthy Church. We've invited everybody to read a book on it called The Emotionally Healthy Church, Uh, kind of a prequel or sequel, I can't quite remember, was Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And basically in this book, he's saying emotions are good. You have them. You have a broad range of emotions. God has created me and you and all of us with emotions. Emotions are good. However, these emotions need to be discipled. These emotions need to be developed. You can't just say, oh, I'm tuning out right now. My emotions are good. Emotions need to be nurtured, discipled. And one of the quotes from our author, Pete Scazzaro, in Emotionally Healthy Church, he says, it's not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And what he's saying is there's a lot of Christians, a lot of maybe churches that are almost projecting this image of being together, being mature, uh, be spiritually growing, yet emotionally being an infant. Emotionally dealing with a lot of lust or anger or um, jealousy, hatred, whatever's going on on the inside. Therefore, this author begins to take us on this journey of looking beneath the surface beginning to embrace limits, learning how to grieve and how to experience loss and how to interact with God on like a very honest level. 
Another quote from Dan Allender and Trimper Longman, they wrote a book together called The Cry of the Soul, How Our Emotions Reveal Our Deepest Questions About God. It's a great read. And in that book, they say, emotions are the cry of the soul. They expose what we are doing with the sorrow of life, and in turn, our emotions reveal what our heart is doing with God. Read the book of Psalms, and that's exactly what David is doing for us. He, David, a representative for us as followers of God and Jesus, he's giving us a window into the heart of what it looks like to be a follower of God. It's not always just joy. There's immense, profound joy, unspeakable, undescribable joy. Yet, David is very honest with his emotions, as we're being invited to be with our emotions, and reveals things in the Psalms like doubt and Questions like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it's a wonderful journey. So the goal of emotional health is loving well. It's so that you can love others well. All of us want to do that. All of us need to be discipled in doing that. So uh, I've chosen Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. And as we look at these three actions of loving well, I want you to notice how incarnation is sort of the operating system. It's what empowers all three of these actions. Okay, we'll read together. Philippians chapter 2. And this is, this is one of the most beautiful, poetic places in Scripture. I go, I go back to this pretty often to read, to read this and be reminded of God's love to us. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, But take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross." Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Very first action. Um, And by the way, I I watched a kung fu movie this week, so this whole idea of action, the three actions, probably came from me watching... Uh, an incredible kung fu movie. You know, there's certain little actions that we need to do. So the very first action of love is to receive God's love. Look at verse 1 with me. These are all indicatives. If you're interested in grammar, whether it be Greek grammar or English grammar, it's incredibly important the way Scripture is structured throughout all of Scripture. And an indicative means something that's true. You do nothing to enhance it. You do nothing to improve upon it. You don't even have to believe in it for it to be true. An indicative is, it is. 
It just is. An imperative is what we do based off of that truth. Since this is true, you normally then get that word, therefore. So scripture is structured that way. Religion is structured in just the opposite way. It has an imperative first. If you do this, in fact, if you do a lot of this, therefore, this will become true. I.e., if you do these things, if you become very moral, if you do all of this and that and the other, then God, perhaps, cross your fingers, will love you. Um, Christianity is structured in the exact opposite way. And let's read a few of them listed right here for us. Verse 1 says that you belong to Christ. Ever forgotten your identity? I don't mean your driver's license uh, to prove or get carded or something like that, but your identity, that you belong to Christ. It says it right here in verse 1. It says you are loved by Christ. Ever wake up and first thought you have is, who loves me? Ever go to bed and the last thought you have is, man, I hope somebody out there loves me. It says you are loved by Christ. The next thing it says about you, you have the Holy Spirit. Follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides with you. Next thing it says is you have unity and fellowship together already. All of those things that I just read from verse 1 have already happened. It's an indicative. You need, you need to do nothing to make those things happen. They've already been given to you. And that's why our first action is receive. Receive that. Receive that. Go back and reread that, like, like every day, like maybe several times a day. Like take a bath in that. Get a massage in that again and again and again. Love is incarnation. Love isn't just a feeling. Love, love becomes so real to us that, that we should be able to touch it, feel it, see it, smell it. Did, did you hear the story of Billy Joel who, who gave his daughter this incredible gift? She was 12 years old, and she's in New York City. He's in Los Angeles, and he calls her. They're two different cities. So he calls her on her birthday and tells her, I'm so sorry. He's apologizing that he can't be there for her birthday. And yet he says, I'm going to send you this very large package. It'll be there by the end of the day. Just be on the lookout for it. And doorbell rings in New York. His daughter, who's 12, answers the door, and lo and behold, there's this huge box that's there. And she's so excited, but to her surprise, as she begins to unwrap this box and sort of get into this thing finally, it's her dad. (laughs) Her dad steps out of the box. Like, see, that, that, that's an image for me and you right here. That that's incarnation. It, it wasn't a substitute of her dad. It wasn't the, the warm thought of her dad, although that was great. It was that dad himself showed up. Dad himself revealed himself in the flesh. I mean, so incarnation doesn't just mean a fleshly representation of the real thing, although it means that. It means divinity took on flesh. And so... This is the essence and the glory, the the exact representation of God is what the incarnation means here in these verses as we're reading about it, that God fully took on flesh and emotions and intellect. Um, This this is that, that part in Christmas where it's like not just metaphysical, but the metaphysical becomes physical, becomes real. 
We could touch it. We could see it. We could listen to this Christ. Verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, Though Jesus was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. So his position, his identity, Jesus is God. He's representing God in its most beautiful, tangible way so that we could see this God. Yet he's not all arrogant about it. He's not coming to crush us with that reality. He could, but chose not to. Verse 7, Jesus gave up his, listen to these words, divine privileges. What about you and I giving up our privileges? I'll get to that in just a minute. But God gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Verse 8, he then goes on to die a criminal's death on a cross. Yet, if you go back and read John chapter 1, verse 14, um, I'm sorry, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1 there in John, it says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Our whole first action here in loving well is receive God's love. Yet, to those that Jesus came to reveal himself to, John chapter 1 is saying, they didn't receive him. They wanted nothing to do with him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's your identity. You're a daughter. You're a son of God and of the king. You belong to Christ. Back back in verse 1. You belong. You're loved. You have the Holy Spirit. We have unity and fellowship together. This is something that we've already received. Later in John chapter 1, verse 14, you've all read this, and it says, the word became flesh. And you probably know that this word means, in the Greek, logos. And in Greek philosophy, everything, like reality itself, is based off of the logos. Like everything comes from the logos. And it's so profound that our writer is saying that Jesus, he's the logos, Like everything, creation itself, your reality, love itself, everything is based off of this Jesus. And in Hebrew uh, teaching, this word logos or word here is that the personal presence of God had arrived, had finally shown up. Receive it. Believe it. It's been given already. And so many troubles with, as we're going to get to action number two and number three, I will just go ahead and sort of forewarn us. When we are not doing action two and three very well, it's because we need to go back to action number one. So receive God's love again and again. The second action in loving well here is after and while and as we continually drink of the love of God and take in that love of God and receive it, afresh, anew, the more that you do that, the more you reflect on that, your affections become alive for God. Something happens inside of you that, guess what, you and I all of a sudden now begin to love God back. It sounds pretentious. You may be listening to this thinking, oh, how pretentious. Oh, how, how presumptuous to say that you love God. How, how can we do that? Don't, I mean, don't you know how my week went? Did did you hear my thinking? Were you in my head? Do you know my heart? Know what I struggle with? How could you say that? 
Once again, I invite you to turn to David in the Psalms and listen and look at the soul. Look through the window of a soul. David is speaking a lot of things that aren't 100% true of you and me, but he's saying as you're being shaped and the more and more that you receive this love, the more you fall in love with God, the more you begin and keep falling more and deeper and deeper in love with this Jesus. This is miraculous how this happens. This is that action item that says, God, I, I love you because you first loved me. You hear the subtle difference in that? There's a, there's a difference in saying, I love God so much, and our church loves God so much, and come be like us, and we're just going to all love God. Aren't, aren't we great? The difference is subtle but profound, and it's we love God as a response because God first loved us. Back to action item number one, receive. Receive the incarnation. Receive the truth and liberating joy that God entered into your world. Came down, like condescended. It means we don't ascend to get to God. God condescends and comes down to us and moves into our world. I love God because of who he is, is the heart cry of a follower of God. It's because of who you are, God. It's because of your faithfulness to me that, that my heart begins to melt and my emotions and my affections are now shaped towards you, oh God. This is that encouragement to stay in the word. Stay in the logos. Daily, weekly. Not out of guilt, but so that I might see who you are. And as I see who you are, oh, I'm going to fall in love with you. Oh, you're going to reshape my heart again and again and again that I might fall in love with you. You're going to woo me to yourself again. Matthew 22, Jesus famously replies to a question about what's the greatest commandment? Like, like just tell us. Just summarize it all right here. We just cogent, clear. Jesus famous in... Matthew 22, verses 37, 38, he replies, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Don't turn your mind off in loving God. Love him with your mind. Don't don't turn your soul off like your passion, your emotions off. Love God with those. Your heart like the control, the command central for who you and I are as human beings. All of that is oriented around and towards God. Jesus is saying to do that. So back to that pretentious and perhaps presumptuous thought of, well, then we can't really love God. Jesus would beg to differ. Jesus is inviting you and even commanding us as a response to love this God. And then... uh, Most famously, he says, and the second one is just like that first one, and I want you to go love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. And that brings us to our third action of loving well. In review, it's receiving God's love again, afresh, renew, and and repeat, 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 so that I might now love God back. That's how that relationship grows. And thirdly, that action is Love each other. Love each other. 
Love one another. Verses 2 through 5 do such a beautiful job of explaining this. We said love is incarnation. That means God entered our world. Makes total sense now that we're to enter others' world. That's exactly what's going on here. We're to live it out. We're to overflow. And many of us, uh, this is very challenging. Is it not? Let's just get real. Is it easy to love people? It's usually really, uh, I got a a few sarcastic smiles with that one. It's not easy. It's very challenging. And so once again, as you're overflowing with God's love to others, you and I bump up against the truth that, oh wow, I need to be reminded of God's love for me so that I can continue to love this person that I might not naturally love. 1 John 4, verse 20 says, Whoever claims to love God but hates your brother, you're a liar. Yikes. Yikes. Um, It's basically that person that's saying, Oh, but I know all the worship songs. I know all of them. And I sing them so loud, and, and, I, and I read that Bible all the time. It says, you claim that you love God, yet you hate your brother or your sister. In other verses, it says that you have a sister or a brother who's in need. Like That's your neighbor, and yet you're aloof. Um, so that's the acid test here of whether we truly love God or not. Not how we can articulate what look, loving God looks like, but whether are we... Are we actively living it out. That's the acid test. That's why in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give you. I want you to love each other. And as you do that, everyone in the entire world will know that you're my disciples and they will know where this love came from. That simple. Go and love others. And we say, sometimes we're saying, but God, will you just show my city that that you love them? Will you just show my friend that you love them? And and, and God's like, but you're the answer to that. You are the answer to that prayer. Yes, I want them, that person that we're thinking of, of wanting them to experience God's love. Yes, I want that person to experience my love, but guess what? They're going to experience my love through you, through your patience at work through that argument that you keep getting in in a relationship. And as we drill down here, like how does this happen and what does this actually look like? I love scripture for many reasons. And one of them is that it tells us how to do stuff. Verses two through five. Entering into one another's world, it says, verse two, work together with one mind and purpose. Verse three, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish because guess what? Sorry to break the news. You're not the only person that matters. I'm not the only person in a conversation when I'm talking with someone. I'm not the only person with preferences, opinions, and intellect. Don't be selfish, and our motivation there is because God sees all people. God sees all of us. Verse 3, don't try to be Impressing others. That one, that one hits kind of hard, doesn't it? Don't try to impress others. Why? I'll take us back to the first action item. God is already impressed with you through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You belong to God. You're loved. You're beautiful. You're precious. You're smart. 
You're in his family. You've been adopted. We don't need to. We don't have to spend our energies impressing others. Verse 3 and 4. Look at this. Think of others as better than yourself. Slash take an interest in others. Why is this? Because God takes an interest in you. God takes great interest in you. God knows you intimately, patiently in that relationship with you. Therefore, do that for others. Let that be the the, the motivator, the driving force, that incarnation that helps you to do that. Verse 5, have the same attitude, or really it says have the same mind of Christ in us. That's what we're doing as Christians. As he's reshaping our mind, he's entered our world, now we're entering into their world. I believe that God is doing and wants to do amazing, beautiful things here in San Francisco. And I think what that will look like, it will take on many different forms, but I know one thing it most certainly means, and that is inviting people and bringing people into God's family. God, as God brings people into his family, and we're talking about a family that loves. We're we're talking about a people and, and a church and a family that God's bringing people into that know how to invest in other people. We're talking about a family that is not here to just take, take, take from the city. Just get that promotion. Just get that cool place to live. Just get the accolades and get the popularity and... No, but, but a family that is here for others. I'm not here for myself, is what the Christian can truly say. Is what the person who's receiving God's love again and again can say. A family that cares about others more than they care about themselves. That's what that looks like. See, God was so concerned about you and me and our mess and our neediness that he entered. Wasn't mad at us. Didn't keep his distance, but chose to enter. Incarnation. And so we are so concerned about those around us that we enter. And when we enter, let me suggest listening. Let me suggest listening to what's going on in their lives and actually hearing what someone has to say. Listening to their story. Not assuming that you and I know the story. Isn't being heard so intricately connected to feeling loved? You ever felt loved before? Of course. I will almost guarantee you felt listened to. You felt heard. You felt like someone was validating you. That friend of yours and mine that you can literally share anything with and they don't get scared. Nor do they have five quick things that you just need to go do to solve yourself because they're really tired of you. They listen to you. They hear you. They're not here to fix you, judge you, put you in a box. Moving on, Christians, when there's a disagreement, we listen. We're not the first to say, look, I got it right. I can argue you down. You don't even get it. I could crush you because I'm so good at arguing. Followers of Jesus, that's not the approach is to give up your preferences, is to give up being right in the argument. 
Does Jesus do that? Is he, intera- is he interacting with people? He could just totally crush people because of his intellect, his knowledge. Think of how he relates to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He shows up to her. She, she, she's looking for water. Of course, Jesus is very curious why she's looking for water in the middle of the day. Not the normal time that most people are going to the well looking for water. And yet, he, he, he starts a conversation with her to listen to her heart. He already knows what's there. But he's giving her the opportunity so that she might grow in her own self-awareness of what's there. It's profound what Jesus is doing here. And so finally, you know, he says, uh, go call your husband so I can talk with him too. And then that reveals something else. And, and he lets her know that she hasn't had just the one husband, that, but she's had five. And she said, uh-oh, you must be a prophet. Yes, I am a prophet, but I'm not here to crush you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to show you compassion and mercy. So before we defend our rights, think of Jesus who took on the form of a servant and a slave who humbled himself and entered. This is the only way that we have unity setting aside your preferences, and we we sort of say to ourselves, okay, well, I'll do it, but they better do it. And the the beautiful thing here about Scripture is that it's not only calling you to humble yourself and enter uh, and let go of your preferences, but it's also calling the same person to do the, the very same thing. So in conclusion, as we kind of land press pause on the conversation. I just want to open up space right now between you and God, between me and God. The summary is God is love. Ever curious about what it looks like and feels like and smells like? What is love? God is love. And God entered. It's like God came into the hood. God came into your neighborhood through a human being called Jesus. That's love. And as we receive that, not as a theory, not as a doctrinal point, but as a person, as we receive that and grow in that, God have mercy. God empower us to give that away to other people as we enter into their story and listen and invite others into the family so that they too can receive God's love. Repeat, repeat, repeat. But take a moment now and just, like sponges, soak it in. Receive God's love. Father God, your love is perfect. You entered into our world by becoming a human being in the life and person of Jesus Christ. And oh Christ, your love is perfect. You've empowered us by the indwelling Holy Spirit to live incarnational lives by continually receiving your love and continually overflowing with that love. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.